0: and later times some will fall away paying attention to deceitful spirits and doctrines of demons
1: the more i suffer the better christian i am
0: take the evangelical vow of poverty jesus never laughed nor should we
1: when i relax i feel guilty these are lies from the philosophy of asceticism. Welcome to the conclusion of this portion of the study on the book of Colossians. Standing against spiritual intimidation. Ergurin's program 53 in the series is produced by Global Radio Ministries and is written and taught by Dr. James M. Sisi. In this section on intimidation, we have learned how to stand against those who intimidate Christians through legalism mysticism and in the last program and this one through asceticism to stand against intimidation through asceticism listen to Colossians chapter 2 verses 20 through 23
0: if you have died with Christ to the elementary principles of the world why as if you were living in the world do you submit yourself to decrees such as do not handle do not taste do not touch which all refer to things destined to perish with use, in accordance with the commandments and teachings of men. These are matters which have, to be sure, the appearance of wisdom in self-made religion and self-abasement and severe treatment of the body, but are of no value against fleshly indulgence.
1: Now, here is Dr. Cece.
0: Let's talk about the ascetics today. Like in the first century and in the Middle Ages, this twisted attitude about getting closer to God through self-imposed suffering is alive and well. In fact, the Bible tells us that it will be even more so in the end times. Listen to this, First Timothy 4, verses 1-5. to 5. But the Spirit explicitly says that in later times some will fall away from the faith, paying attention to deceitful spirits and doctrines of demons by means of the hypocrisy of liars seared in their own conscience as with a branding iron. Watch this now. Tell me if this is not asceticism men who forbid marriage and advocate abstaining from foods which God has created to be gratefully shared in by those who believe and know the truth. For everything created by God is good and nothing is to be rejected, and here's the caveat now, if it's received with gratitude and sanctified by means of the Word of God in prayer. No wonder Peter in Acts 10 sees a vision that says what? Take eat. Let me tell you something One needn't be around a group of church-going people very long before they hear people advocating all kinds of self-inflicted penance, all under the false impression that the suffering Christian is more mature than the one who isn't suffering. I've traveled in many countries around this globe, on many continents, and I've witnessed this personally. I have gone to the Church of the Black Nazarene in Quiapo, Metro Manila, Philippines. I've watched them bloody their knees as they walked up the marble caseway all the way up somehow trying to get forgiveness in the process. I've watched them. I have in my hand an article that J.R. Whitaker gave me that's a reminder of the 17 men and women who had themselves nailed to a cross in the Philippines. I didn't want to put the picture up there because it's just gross. In the first service, somebody said thank you. Well, we don't see those kind of things here, not in our evangelical circles, perhaps not to such extremes, but the fact is we have our own version of asceticism. There are plenty of us who wear our own penitential robes, but won't recognize a monk's habit, so I decided to put it in the form of T-shirts. Our own ascetic T-shirts. Penitential robe, T-shirt number one. The more I suffer, the better Christian I am. Oh, woe is me. Oy vey. Oh, do you hear it today? In uh, the misuse of Paul's words to Second Timothy, to Timothy in Second 2 Timothy 2.3 when he said, suffer hardship with me as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. Or Romans 8.18, that the sufferings of this present, they are nothing compared to the glory that come as a result of them. Oh, listen. The issue throughout scripture is not suffering, but a willingness to suffer. It's not inflicting suffering on yourself. It's accepting the reality that when you stand tall for Christ, the odds are you're going to suffer. You stick your head above a crowd, someone's going to throw a brick at it. Paul said, Yea, all who desire to live godly in Jesus Christ shall suffer persecution, but you're not the one that picks up the brick and bangs your own head. Live for Jesus. You'll get enough suffering. You don't have to impose it on yourself. And I've witnessed my fellow Christians express that the true Christian life is one of misery. If we're going to be partakers of Christ's suffering, there's almost this assumption that pastors and ministers and missionaries are all godly because they sacrifice. You know, this pain and gain Christianity. No pain, no gain. You know, listen, I've met a lot of missionaries that are sacrificial. They're not necessarily godly. Just because they gave up something I've seen a lot of people give up things as a means of their own penance, their own self-absolution, their own guilt, motivated by more a psychological problem that they, they don't think that they deserve anything good, and so they impose on themselves bad, and then they get applauded for being spiritual. Oh, they may be. It's not based on the level of suffering. Stop wearing the T-shirt. You guys with me? You're awfully quiet. Secondly, we have our own version of what I call penitential robe number two, T-shirt number two, the evangelical vow of poverty. This twisted mo- no- notion that that wealth, you know, is compromise. You know that that somehow, if you do well financially, there's something wrong with you spiritually. Now we have the other extreme as in every case we have the wealth and prosperity people who tell you that if you're spiritual you're going to get rich and so we get the other extreme that says no if you're spiritual you're going to be poor and the fight goes on again in super spiritual fashion They twist the Apostle Paul's words to Timothy in 1 Timothy 6.10 that says the love of money is the root of all sorts of evil is not saying money is the root, it's the love of it. And I've seen poor people who love money and I've seen rich people who love money. But to insist that no truly Christian person can be wealthy, where does the Bible say that? Or that the poor are closer to God, that God loves them more. Where does it say that? I read Philippians 4 and Paul says, I've learned what? How to live, wealthy or poor. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I read Proverbs where Solomon says that the Lord has made both the rich and the poor. In the Bible, we have plenty of poor people who are godly and plenty of poor people who are ungodly. And we have plenty of people that were rich that were ungodly and plenty that were godly. Guys like Abraham, Job, David, Solomon... Joseph of Arimathea, and so forth. So take off the T-shirt. Penitential robe number three, the third aesthetic attitude I've seen among evangelicals is that Jesus never laughed, nor should we. You know, it's that attitude that heaven knows I'm miserable now. Yeah, now the world does. We wear the T-shirt, don't we? That there's no place in the Christian life for fun and laughter. And we abuse the Word of God where in James 4.9 it says, Be miserable and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned into mourning and your joy to gloom. But don't we balance that out with the Bible that says that laughter is a good medicine? That a joyful countenance lifts our spirits? That rejoicing in the good things that God has created is a good thing? But I stand before you as one of these guys if I'm not careful. I can be so guilty of this. And I caught myself. My, my daughter was, was reading a, a novel, a secular novel. She was having a great time. She was laughing and enjoying it. I'm reading my Bible and I said to her, why are you wasting your time? You could be reading your Bible. I mean, how intimidating, you know. But what kind of bully am I? Uh, you know? And God convicted me because right there on the spot, he brought 1 Timothy 4 to mind. Everything created by God is good, and nothing is to be rejected. If it's received with gratitude, if it's sanctified by means of the Word of God and prayer, what does it mean? If it doesn't compromise, Okay. I mean, have some fun. Don't be bullied by those who question our Christianity. That's my t-shirt. I should have you go, boo. But you have your own t-shirts. Potential robe number four. T-shirt number four. When I relax, I feel guilty. It comes out of that attitude that idleness is the enemy of our soul. And that certainly can be true. must waste a lot of time. I understand that. But many of us who would never think of walking around with 100 pounds of chains on our back are weighted down by the chains of Christian workaholism. I'm not going on until some of you say, yes, that's you too. We pound into our skulls a self-imposed crown of thorns made up of scores of Christian things to do. And we put on our, our sackcloth and ashes and we tell everybody, I'm burning out for Jesus. Oh, the Bible says make the most of the time because the days are evil. But do you understand that making the most of the time also requires that you take a Sabbath rest? Anybody have a problem with that? And yet even God himself, who had a larger things to do list than I do, and much more important, Rested. The 20th century preacher Vance Havner had a way of saying things that cut right through the heart of many of us busy types. And he was in particular loved warning young preachers of the dangers of overwork. And I remember one of his classic lines where he said, come apart, gentlemen, before you come apart. I have a hard time with taking this t-shirt off. I have to admit. Yeah, that's one of those penitential robes. Sometimes it's hard to take a day off when you got a list of things and you Sure that's true for all of you, many of you. I remember one time I was on vacation and somebody called and said what are you doing and I was embarrassed to say I was on vacation. That's a t-shirt, isn't it? That's a robe. That's a hundred pounds of chains, oh God! Aren't you lucky you made me? Isn't that, uh, anybody? You're going to let me fry up here, aren't you? So let's get quickly because there's more T-shirts we could be wearing. But let's get the God's answer to the ascetics of all ages as we take our stand with the Apostle Paul. Anybody want to do that today? Listen to what he said in verse 20: If you have died with Christ to the elementary principles of the world. Why, as if you were living in the world, do you submit yourselves to decrees such as do not handle, do not taste, do not touch, which all refer to things destined to perish with use, in accordance with the commandments and teachings of men. And he asks a fair question. Are you ready for the question? Why? Everybody say, why? Why submit yourself to such foolish teaching? In fact, the word that he uses is, why are you being dogmatized, doctrinalized, credalized? realized listized why are you allowing yourself because it's so keyed in to the heart of men that's why it's a lot easier for you to impose a list on me than it is for me to walk in the spirit look with me at the reasons why rejecting self-imposed asceticism is so important reason number 1 are you ready we're dead we have died with Christ. You see it there in verse 20? He'll talk about it later on in chapter 3. If you have died with Christ to the elementary principles of the world, why as if you are living in the world do you submit yourselves to these things? You've died to these. We've already talked about the elementary principles earlier in Colossians. What I call the goo-goos and the gagas of religiosity. The infantile way that men think they can please God But when we came to Christ, we died to that stuff. When we came to Christ, we were separated from that way of life. Why are you going back to babyhood? Why are you going back to being a diapered child? Walk as those who are in Christ. Why are you going back? Reason number two is that these ascetic practices are destined to perish. And he gives a parenthetical comment here when he says they all refer to things destined to perish with use. In other words, they're a death road. That these things that look so spiritually alive that can so impress us by the sacrifice. Oh, look at how much sacrifice they're making. Oh, look at how hard their lives are. Oh, they must be so spiritual. at they're dying practices. They're terminally ill forms of false spirituality and they stink of impending death. You know those worms that we keep putting back in saying, eat away. Why are they dying practices? Because they're not practices given to us by a life-giving God. Reason number three, these ascetic practices are man-made. Verse 22, in accordance with the commandments and teachings of men, man's attempt at appeasing God. Temporary and outward solutions to an eternal and inward problem. And just like legalism and just like mysticism, reason number four. These ascetic practices only have the appearance of true spirituality. See it there in verse 23? These are matters which have to be sure the appearance of wisdom and self-made religion, self-abasement, severe treatment of the body. You and I know the human heart because we're experts in it. The truth of the matter is that when things are going well, some of us are waiting for the hammer. We're waiting. Oh, things are going smooth. There must be something wrong because chaos has become normal. And in the midst of blessing, we go, Whoa, Oh, it must not be because I deserve I mean, and it must not be, you know, well, watch out. Just, uh, the, the, the truck's going to fall on me. The sky's falling. The sky's falling. One man said it this way, to enjoy the sacrifices of Lent more than the celebration of Easter. I remember as a child, wanting to earn God's pleasure by giving up things. Of course, as a child during Lent, I would give up things I hated, like broccoli, other vegetables. But the older I got, I was more sincere. I gave up things... In hopes that somehow God would accept me as his child, that God would forgive me, and I, I remember going through the agony of Lenten practice. I remember I was a devout I, I was an altar boy I was I, 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 you know I, I even felt like, oh, guess the only way to be forgiven of God is to go in the priesthood. I you know you just got if you've not been in the system, you don't understand what I'm saying. I so wanted to be right with God. I just didn't know how. I I thought I had to do all those things. But they were outward practices masquerading as wisdom. That's what Paul's saying. They seem so spiritual on the outside, but it is self-made, man-made religion. And yet the truth of the matter is that some of you are still having a hard time with this because you're saying, but look at what pains they're going through to get close to God what devotion what humility I want to be kind here but Paul wouldn't be impressed you know what he would say what a useless thing you do it's not going to work reason number one we have died with Christ Two: these aesthetic practices are destined to perish three these aesthetic practices are man-made Four, these ascetic practices only have the appearance of true spirituality. Five, these ascetic practices are useless. That's what he said. They're of no value. Does it say some value there? What does the word no mean in the original Greek language? Somebody help me here. It means no, not a goose egg, none. No value. Against flesh. They're useless against our flesh indulgence. No amount of external rituals, self-denial, abuse of our body is going to change the inward wicked hearts. You know that's true. You're on a diet. You can lock yourself in a prison and, put, you know, and eat 1,500 calories a day, and you'll lose weight. When you get out, you're going to do what? Your heart hasn't changed. You know it, and I know it. Holiness does not consist of avoiding contamination on the outside. Of external controls. It requires an internal person, an indwelling Holy Spirit that comes by faith in Christ. We're to keep ourselves unstained by the world. I'm going to tell you something. We're powerless to do so without the Holy Spirit in us saying no. Secondly, they're useless because they appeal to our pride. I mean, folks, quickly, self denial is really no better than self indulgence, it still involves self. That's the problem. Self-imposed suffering to earn God's favor is a form of self-worship and feeds the selfish pride of men. Because it says, look at how spiritual I am. Look at how sacrificial I am. Look what I am doing. And the problem is that this Christian life isn't about I. I must decrease. And He must increase. So said John the Baptist. And Alexander McLaren was spot on when he said this. There's only one thing that will put the collar on the neck of the animal within us, and that's the power of the indwelling Christ. So where do I go from here? For three weeks, I've been pouring out my heart. And if you think this has been a fun series, let me tell you right now, it's not fun. I've had to deal with the reactions. Rightly so. Because everything I've said can be taken to extremes. I know it and you know it. But unless you want me to spend six weeks on this, that's the only way it can be presented. You're going to have to study and be good Marines, Because I'm not your guru. But it's about a choice that you make. A lifestyle choice. Where you and I can choose a life of legalism with its man-made rules, or we can choose a life controlled daily by the indwelling Holy Spirit. Make your choice. You and I can choose a life of mysticism with its emphasis on subjective feelings or you can choose a life centered daily on the objective Word of God. Make your choice. You and I can choose a life of asceticism with its self-imposed suffering or we can choose a life centered daily in God's will and accept whatever life God plans for us. If He's got a plan of of suffering, then so be it, even so. But I'm not going to lean into the left hook. In the paraphrased words of Colossians 2, the substance of our lives belongs to Christ. Everything else is a mere shadow. So don't be bullied. Don't be intimidated. Don't be sucked into the whirlpool. Pray that God would grant you the wisdom to live the rest of your life free from the bondage of legalism, mysticism, and asceticism and all of its past, present, and oh, don't be fooled. Its future forms too. And pray that God would show us how to live a life of grace. And that's why the very next word in the passage, with no chapter division, that's man-made, says, therefore, if then, you've been raised with Christ. Since you are. And then he'll teach us how to put Christ first. Because that's the life that you and I need to live. Amen? Father, thank you for your word. I pray God, if there's any way that I've confused this passage, that You would just give these people Berean spirit, give them the ability to discern, to study. And Holy Spirit, You promised that You would illuminate. But Lord, that which is true to Your Spirit's leading in our lives—that's true and consistent with the rest of Scripture. God, just pour it into our lives and protect us. Protect us from external forces and internal challenges that would move us away from a life of grace. Thank you, in Jesus' name. God's people said, oh, there's more of God's people in that in here. And God's people said, amen.
1: When I think of all i Nothing compares to what you give And to drink of what you bring You quench the thirst for me to live I am satisfied by what tenderness you've shown to me i yeah.